Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Nick Rathel who's helping entrepreneurs and thought leaders get their message out in record time, reducing the barrier to entry to becoming an author, establishing the credibility that comes along with it, and increasing your business visibility. You know, we often talk about building a life and business you love. Let's focus in on the business part. You want to attract the right clients who you can serve using a marketing strategy. And one element or tactic that you can use is becoming an author by writing a book. But building your business is just one part of a bigger journey. Now, that's why we here at The Money Advantage help business owners build time and money freedom using our three-step cash flow system to help you keep more of the money you make, secure and protect your money, and then turn it into more. This conversation will help you invest in your business to build it into a self-sustaining, cash flow-producing asset. So who is Nick Rathel? Well, Nick is the creator of The 7-Hour Book, This proven system allows any entrepreneur to get their own professionally published book while spending only seven hours of their time on it. With the seven-hour book, Nick is on a mission to help entrepreneurs and others in business finally get the recognition they deserve. Time and again, he's seen those in nearly every community who have incredible stories and knowledge to share find that a book is the ultimate way for them to share their insights and in doing so to increase their cash flow. Yet the issue always seems to be that no one has any time. Seeing this, Nick combined advanced time management strategies with his own experiences in publishing and marketing. The result was the seven-hour book, a service that's been delighting clients ever since. Let's dive in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Um, I'm excited about this guest because I actually have three books started on my computer um, from different topics. And it's just like I have three books on my nightstand that I begin to read and then don't finish them. So I think our our guest today, Nick, is going to inspire us and show us how we can finish these kind of things. Absolutely. Well, today we have Nick Rathel with us. Nick, welcome to the show. Rachel, thank you very much for having me. Bruce as well. Excellent. Well, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about who you were before you started the seven-hour book and started helping other people become authors? I was two people, uh, sort of split personality, if you will, in the sense that one of the personalities was someone who had grown up with a lifelong love of books, a love and appreciation of books. Oh, nice. Going back to childhood even, when we used to, my family and I, we would take walks on Saturday and Sunday afternoons to a local library to get out, not only as a family outing, but also to appreciate and enjoy books. So that's sort of the one side of the personality, having grown up with that. And then the other side, and I use split personality kind of in quotes as a joke here, uh, but (laughs) haven't laid down on anyone's couch for that sort of therapy. But (laughs) the the other side there being a love of marketing and a love of helping people with businesses to figure out unique, innovative ways of getting more clients, of positioning themselves, and even creating new sources of wealth and income and cash flow in their lives. So putting those two together led to where I'm at now with the seven-hour book. That's excellent. 
Well, can you tell us what sparked the idea for the seven-hour book and led you to discover that you had something that you really had to offer the world that would help them then help business owners be able to create that cash flow and wealth? One word, time. Every time I would talk to a business owner or a service professional of some sort, the issue would always come up that they couldn't do a book because they just did not have time. And it goes back, mm-hmm. I would suppose, to something Bruce mentioned a few moments ago about having these unfinished books on the computer, unfinished books on the nightstand. The reason, of course, that they aren't finished is a lack of time. It's simply that no one has right. time to finish reading a book or, in this case, to even write a book. So thinking about that and having time be the central obstacle in the way, I began to look at what is it going to take to help a person get over the time obstacle? What is the easiest way to simplify all of this and make it painless for them to get the book out? And that led eventually to the seven-hour book, figuring that on seven one-hour sessions over Zoom or Skype, we could take the entire process, crunch it down, and create the sort of atmosphere that would be easy for a person to get their book out. That's great. And I love that you saw a problem and found a way to solve it. And I mean, what better definition of entrepreneurship is there than that, really, solving problems? So who would you say your service is primarily for? Because I know that there's people who maybe want to write books and are not ready, people who um, have already written books, and all different types of genres. Who are you ideal at working with? I would say there's two ways to think about this. The first would be people who are looking, in general, for an unfair advantage. An unfair advantage being that you are in a field with your business or with some kind of entrepreneurial venture where you have too many competitors and you need a way to stand out from them and a way to get that unfair advantage so that clients, customers, whoever you're seeking to attract your business will come to you and be able to find you apart from your competitors. It's almost like you're looking for, if there is, to use the image of the money tree that people have probably heard about, a figurative tree with money on it. Mm -hmm. Your competitors in a given market are standing at ground level and they're reaching out trying to grab the money out of the money tree. You, on the other hand, with a book, have an unfair advantage. So it's almost like you're a couple of steps up on a stepladder reaching up to the money tree. And you still have to look up the money tree and find the branches where the money is, but a book gives you those steps up on the stepladder, so you don't have to be leaping up from the ground level like your competitors are. So that would be one of the types of people who we work with. And then the other type would be people who are really looking to give back and coming at this from the legacy perspective in that maybe they've had a storied career within an Mm -hmm. industry or they have some unique experience in their life that is going to go to their grave with them if they don't communicate it through a book. Mm. So those would be, generally speaking, the two groups. That's fascinating. Why do you suppose um, people that write a book seem to have an unfair advantage over their competitors? The unfair advantage they have is the fact that they have this platform now. That's why the image of the stepladder really works out well, because they have this platform to stand head and shoulders in the eyes of their prospects above everyone else. 
it's it's also coming down to the fact that books, even in a digital age like we live in now, even with all of the various forms of media, YouTube, Snapchat, all of these forms of media, books still have a certain weight to them. Mm-hmm. When people hear that you are an author, something clicks mentally with them and they look at you and view you differently. On top of that, think about, for example, a blog post or a Facebook post. One click and that is done. It's deleted. It's gone. Versus a book, a printed physical book, even an ebook in some cases, you are going to have to work much harder to destroy it. And frankly, most people won't destroy it. We really don't throw books away. I even call it the business card no one throws away. So that is a clear advantage of a book that it gives you in the minds of your prospects and in terms of its staying power. That's fascinating. And I know that in general, I have that same feeling towards people if they say that they're an author or they're published author. Um, And at the same time, sometimes we wonder where that comes from. So thank you for even sharing that a little bit about being the business card that no one throws away. Um, So if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, well, you know, I think writing a book could be right for me, but maybe they're looking at their marketing strategy overall and they're saying, well, there's networking, there's podcasting, there's a Facebook ad strategy, I can do webinars, I can build a funnel. They're all tools. Writing a book is a tool as well. How do you know if writing a book is the right tool, the right fit, the right piece of your overall strategy? Well, I appreciate you saying that, Rachel, because I 100% agree with the fact that there are multiple ways to get to your goal. And mm-hmm. quite often, I'll hear people immediately jump on a book when it's as you've said that maybe Facebook ads, maybe some other aspect of marketing is correct to help them reach their goal. So I think that any discussion of this needs to begin first and foremost with an assessment of what your goals are. Are your goals, is your goal rather, to become an authority? In that case, a book probably would help with that versus if your goal is simply to get more leads where Facebook ads might be just as effective. So really beginning with the end in mind and then working from there to figure out which specific marketing medium is going to be best for achieving that. That's great. And I know that it definitely needs to be a part of an overall strategy. I mean, any tactic that's separated from a strategy usually is going to fail. I mean, financially, whenever we're talking to somebody about their financial life, if we just pull out one particular tactic or one particular product, it's usually not a solution unless we're looking at the whole overall. So I'm really appreciative of how you help that fit into the overall strategy. Now, if somebody is wanting to write a book, what already needs to be in place for them in order to make that actually convert for them? Because I mean, anyone could write a book, but you want that to be a part of leading more people to you. So what do they already need to have established as a part of their business in order to make writing a book really a a good move for them? I think the bare minimum that they need to have is they need to have a clear idea of who this book is for. That needs to come before anything else, because if you don't know who this book is specifically for, then it really doesn't matter what you have in place to begin with. If you don't know, let's assume, for example, that someone is a financial advisor or even an attorney. If they don't know who among their clientele this book is being written for, then they really don't have 
the means to go about promoting it and writing it even Mm -hmm. in the right way for them. So I think that that determination of who the book is for needs to come first. Then beyond that, getting a little bit more specific, they need to know what action they want this group to take upon reading the book. Do they want them to go to, for example, a landing page? If there is the landing page, then they will probably need to have in their business on hand someone who can set up a landing page if they can't do it themselves. They would then need to have some sort of opt-in feature enabled on that page. So they would need to have this entire infrastructure set up on the tech side if that was the action they wanted someone to take. Similarly, if they want someone to call them even, go old-fashioned like that, call them from reading a book, they would need to ensure that they have receptionist in place to answer the phones or that they have some other means of fulfilling on the back end the inbound leads that are coming. That's great because I know that writing a book, I mean, I've seen other people use this very very successfully as well as a marketing strategy. And obviously, if someone reads your book, they're getting to know you, they're getting to know your philosophy, they're getting to know whether they like you or not. I mean, just even based on whether the humor jives with you, whether the stories are applicable and relatable. I mean, there's just so much that you can get to know a person through their book. And if you are loving what you're hearing, you know that it's written directly to you, then usually there is some type of a um, coaching or something that you could follow on by by reaching out to that person and then connecting with them and doing business beyond having just bought the book. And so I appreciate you sharing that as well. So um, you kind of talked about what types of books you work with in terms of business owners. Do you stick with business owners and their business model or do you work outside of that? I mean, what if it was a children's book or a novel? Is that something that you would even work with or how would you handle that? Unfortunately, no. That's really outside of our area of expertise. I mean, I enjoy novels from time to time, but it's not the sort of thing that my team and I are really focused on. And I, I even appreciate you you sharing that because I think if we as business owners are not focused, then the value we provide is not as distinct. So that's great. Um what would you say is the process that most thought leaders would use to become an author? So if they've got an idea and they have a business and they're coming at the world from a different angle and they want to become an author, what's the process that most people would use? And then why is that frustrating than lending a need for your services? Well, the first thing that they would do, of course, is as our friend Simon Sinek says in that TED Talk, they would start with why. They would start mm-hmm. with why they would want to do it. Then beyond that, they would begin to look at what their own capabilities were to get this, to establish themselves as authorities. Do they need to, for example, write a book? If so, what is their capability to write a book? Can they devote an hour every night? Can they devote a few hours, say, on a Saturday, locking themselves away in a room? Do they have that capability? Then, moving a little bit beyond that, what would be their capability to market this book? As we were just discussing, Rachel, when the book comes out, do they have that infrastructure? Do they have that back end in place? So those would be a few of the considerations to think about when trying to position yourself as a thought leader. And I think another big one comes down to that issue of time. You were saying what gets in people's way. We're hitting on it right here, the fact that many just don't have the time. 
and they need to figure out how they're going to get around this issue in order to get to where they want to be with regard to thought leadership. So Nick, um, I'm just going to pull from my experience of trying to do this. Um, time is obviously something that we we point to all the time, but I believe that it's also an excuse we use all the time. And you probably have people that do that also. So for me, you know, I think time is an excuse because I I choose to do things, other things that I certainly find time for. But the but the problem that I have when I write is. I believe I have something to say, but the mechanics of writing are so difficult for me to make sure the sentence structure is proper, the the grammar is proper, the tense is proper, all those kind of things that I start writing and I get so far and then I go back and I'm like, hey, even a copywriter or or somebody that's going to look at this um, to edit it is going to think I'm an idiot. So I, I keep working on it, working on it, working on it. And it just, I just freeze up. So do you have people that you work with that are in a similar situation? So they can, they, they have really good thoughts. And actually people have told me a lot of times when they read my stuff, they go, boy, you really outlined this really well. We just have to clean it up. So is that, is that something you guys do? Yeah, it is something that we see. It's certainly something that we see on both of those two ends. What you were saying, Bruce, with regard to time being an excuse. In fact, I actually love it when we have those calls with people where we're able to show them that, you know, maybe they just need to have a little bit more faith in themselves, reestablish and reorder their priorities in different areas. And with that being done, they're then able to find the time, which always existed, but find the time in their minds to sit down and write this thing. Then on the second front, what you were saying, Bruce, with people who struggle to write. They can write technically, but they can't put it in any other order and they can't make sense of it or make it make it move beyond just them putting it on paper. Make it flow mm-hmm. might be a better way to describe this. For those kind of people, we certainly work with them. And those cases those cases are interesting because it's it's sort of like watching someone, I'll use an analogy here. It's sort of like watching someone chip away at a piece of stone or at some other material to turn it into a form of art. You see them taking all the heavy strokes and trying to make something out of it. And they're they're almost there and they just need a little bit of extra encouragement and maybe a little bit of guidance. But ultimately, they are able to carve their masterpiece out of it. Yeah, because I, I imagine that you run into this all the time. If, if I try to do a presentation with a PowerPoint where I'm going to have a, a linear you know, progression of how to explain something, which I think is a, a book would be you know, a similar thing, I, I find that to be a very difficult task. But if you put me in a situation where I just sit down with somebody and start talking about the subject matter, then I have no problem being very clear and concise and and progress into the next step. So is that, let's talk a little bit about your process, the seven hour process where I believe it's seven, one hour uh, blocks. Uh, Is that, would that be a similar process? So let's just say I'm a client, you get me on the first one, you, we talk about the why I want to do this, the subject matter. And then do I just start talking about the subject matter? And then in your process, you guys figure out, you know, how to 
then put it into a book format as far as the proper, and do you actually write or do we write? And then you help us redo it. I mean, how, how is that process? Sure. We go into those calls with a specific structure that we've established ahead of time with the client. And that structure involves questions specifically tailored to them and what they want this book to be about. In creating that structure, we'll talk with them ahead of time. We actually have specific plans that we'll do helping them to get clear on their notes, get clear on everything and get started before that first call so that we then have a structure for the book and an outline. So we'll know going into a call, for example, if their book is going to be, say, five key principles to financial independence. Let's just assume that that was their book topic. If they're a financial advisor and it's five key principles to financial independence, our calls would then be structured that call number one of the seven would be dealing with the introduction to the book. Then the middle five calls would be those five key principles, one principle for each call. And then the last call, call number seven, would be the conclusion of the book, along with any additional thoughts that they'd had, any of those shower moments, if you will, where they think of a brilliant idea for their book right in the middle of the shower or on the golf green or running or jogging, (laughs) some other time when they would come up with an idea and think, you know, that should have been in chapter four or that should have been in chapter six. We'd be doing that on the ending call. So bottom line, though, we are going into the calls from call number one with a clear end in mind, beginning with the goal in mind. No, I, 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 I get that. I get that. What, I, what I'm trying to figure out because I have other people that have, uh, I know that have helped people write books. Are you guys actually then taking the outline and ghostwriting it for people? Are you then taking or relying on the people to write it and then look at it and help them refine it? I'm trying to figure out what the, that type of process is. Sure. In nearly all of the cases, we are creating it for them. Okay. But we have in the past offered coaching and do sort of on a one-off basis work with people who might already be able to get it written and need a little bit of guidance on the process. Okay. That, that, okay. That clears it up then. Yeah. So I'm hearing that you have a set process that you, as the seven-hour book, write it for them, but there's sometimes where you're going to deviate based on the client's needs. Am I hearing that correctly? That is. And I would like to add to that too, that beyond the writing, we're creating this in a way that is going to fit specifically into their marketing system and whatever they have on that back end. So while writing is an important part of that, we're not just focused on that aspect. We're not, as I often say, we're not just English majors. In fact, I don't hire anyone who is an English major. No offense to English pagers, but we need to come at this from the marketing standpoint, not from the standpoint of what's going to sound witty or fun or clever. People need to read your book and not fall asleep. That's important. But this is ultimately to serve a business objective. So we come at it from that perspective. I love that. And I love that you said that because I saw somewhere on your website too that you guys are more than copywriters. And so it's very important. I mean, the marketing writing, I mean, I do a lot of writing in terms of blogs and articles. And because of that, it's interesting how your thinking changes and adapts. It's not just about making sentences sound pretty or flow generally from one to the next, but really it's about how to achieve that end goal. And I love that you brought that out because it, it, a book really is a piece of a marketing strategy, not a standalone, um, the way that I see it. Well, and another point that I, I would like to add on there is the fact that 
since it is going to achieve a goal, you do not necessarily, in fact, I would even discourage pursuing your book from the standpoint that this should be a New York Times bestseller or really a bestseller in any category beyond the specific niche of people who you're trying to reach. So if for some reason having a New York Times bestseller would make the difference and allow you to reach all of your target customers and then some, then okay, fair enough. But in most cases, you don't need to reach millions of people. You don't need to reach hundreds of thousands of people. You just need to reach a very small, very defined segment. And that's going to make all the difference with your book. So is that more like being um, number one rated on Amazon for a particular category? Is that more... more um there's a word I'm looking for, but is that more desirable than than being a New York Times bestseller if your objective is to work with that particular group of people? It can be, but it's important to understand that being a quote bestseller is often very much open to interpretation. What I mean by that is on Amazon, think of how many categories of books there are, categories and subcategories and sub-subcategories going all the way down the so-called long tail. You can get very, very deep right. in subcategories. So if your book is only one of three books in a subcategory, and it's the most recent of those books, and you get, say, a few friends to buy the book within a short period of time, leave positive reviews, your book is going to be a, quote, Amazon bestseller. So it's important to understand what the label right. means and what it doesn't mean. That's excellent that you brought that out. I want to come back to that in a second. Let's go back to um, something that you were talking about with Bruce. So how does somebody get to the point of um, organizing the structure of the book? You mentioned somebody saying maybe five key principles to financial independence or something. Is that the organization? So say somebody is coming to you and they have an idea, but they're not sure how to organize it or if it should be five points for this or if it should be the world's answer for, I don't know, this particular problem. How do you, or maybe they need to come up with on their own, how do you guys arrive at that structure or the overall objective and point of the book? It does vary case by case. Generally though, we try to crunch whatever the idea is down to a set of clear things, whether that's like we're saying in this example, the five key principles or seven things you should know Mm -hmm. about we like numbers. I guess it goes back to the whole seven-hour book part with the seven. But numbers tend to uh-huh. be easier to remember. They tend to stick out more. And they also, just from an organizational standpoint, are easier for people to stretch their ideas out across. If someone has a general knowledge that they want to communicate of financial planning or of what it takes to run a business or of how they grew their own business, if they can put that and express it and stretch it out, across a defined number of topics, they're going to find that it's easier then to connect the dots between each of those topics rather than just trying to glop and plop down this mass of ideas and then make sense of it. I like that you said that. I think that even helps um, just with the thought process of organization for anyone who would be writing anything, um, much less a book. So how do you then, what is your end product? the end goal for you, I guess what I'm asking by that is there's a lot more to writing a book than um, having a physical print book or whether it's an ebook. If you can kind of talk about whether it's tangible or audiobook or ebook, and then 
Is there publishing that's involved with your process? Is there any marketing that's involved? Or how do you make that transition and hand off the baton to your client then so that they can carry on the rest of what's needed with that book process? This, again, is going to depend a little bit on the client and their needs. What I can say, though, is that we certainly help them with getting up to the point of having this book, which they're then able to have printed, published, and getting it out there into the world. So we help them with creation. Uh, we, we're not actually a printing company, so we don't have any of those huge printing machines on hand. But in terms of all the mm-hmm. formatting, all of the design, and certainly the marketing, we're able to help them with that too. Okay. So the formatting, the design. So are people typically writing a physical, tangible, hard copy book, or is this ebook usually, or is that all based on the client as well? It tends to be both. Um, in some cases, okay. it is only print, and that would be cases where it's someone who's, for their marketing strategy, they've chosen to do the strategy of free plus shipping, which is a tactic that uh, uh-huh. well-established marketer Russell Brunson, I believe, is the one who first popularized it. Yes. The idea that someone- Yes, I was going to ask you yeah, about the, that The idea that someone mm-hmm. comes onto your website and- as your lead magnet, you send them this book, this actual physical printed book, but they just pay for the shipping of it. So that is one aspect of this right. that people really do take advantage of. Excellent. Okay. Is there any advantages to doing an ebook over a physical print copy? That's difficult to say. I think that the ebook, one of the one of the only advantages, if you want to think about it in that way, is that there's no logistics of actually having a printed book out there. So you don't have to think about, is this going to be delivered because it's delivered automatically? What's it going to look like when someone is actually holding it in their hands as you would a physical book? So I think that initial considerations like that weigh into it. But if you're looking for staying power and if you're looking for just the sheer physicality and the impact, what I sometimes called the thud factor of a physical book. Thud factor being uh-huh. that it thuds when it lands on someone's desk. An ebook just doesn't do that. So I think sure. when you look at it from that perspective, the physical book really still is superior and still is what more people are interested in. Excellent. Excellent. So then um, is publishing a part of, is that a necessary factor in writing a book? And if so, what steps do you go through to help them with that? Yeah, it's absolutely a, important part of writing a book because if you don't publish it, then it never really gets out there. It just sits around on a computer or it just sits around in email exchanges that you have with people. So you got to get it published. Where it fits in our process is, as you might expect, at the end. So once we've gotten their ideas organized, once we've created the content, once we've figured out what all of the marketing assets for it are going to be, how we're going to get it out there, Then we go into the actual publishing part of it, which is where we'll handle the formatting, where we'll handle any kind of other design matters, and where we'll also help our clients to find a printer who's a good fit for them, who serves their needs the best. Okay. Excellent. So is that considered self-publishing then? I'm not as familiar with this world of publishing, but I know that there's large publishing houses and some people go through the self-published route. would your process be considered self-publishing? I would say it is. This is certainly not Random House or 
any of the other Macmillan, Dell, any of those ones. This is not not on that level. This is much more organic, much more uh, grassroots. Okay. And is there any benefit to doing it that way versus going with a bigger publisher or vice versa? At this stage, no. At this stage, with the internet being what it is, with fulfillment, once you actually have a printer lined up being what it is, and also considering that for many of these larger houses, you're going to need an agent to represent you. And you're also okay. going to need much more time because it takes longer. When you look at all of those, then no, I don't think there is. Okay. Okay. Um, well, as you've built a business and you manage a team to execute the seven-hour book for your clients, what would you say is your favorite thing that you've learned about owning and running a business and entrepreneurship um, just as a whole? That is a great question. I think that one of the things I've learned is the importance of hiring. Far too many entrepreneurs and business owners that I've seen, and I've in the past was guilty of this myself, we try to do everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. We think that, I've heard it called, I forget who coined this term, but superhero syndrome, where you think that you can save the day at all times in your business, that you can be Superman or Superwoman. and that you have the strength to do everything in your business and you just can't, you need to hire. And the sooner that clicks with you and the sooner you realize the need to hire, the need to build a team, the need to not be an island, if you will, the sooner your business will begin to grow. And it's important, I think, for nearly any kind of business. This notion of the solopreneur, which is popular, there is certainly something to that. I'm not going to knock it completely. But having a team and hiring people is so fundamentally important that it's it's almost like it's almost like a requirement to even have a business in the first place. That's interesting that you say that. And I think in building a team, then there's so many elements to make sure that you're on the same page, that you're representing the same brand, that you're cohesive and working together. How have you made sure that that happens within your organization. And I'm sure every company that I've ever talked to has made mistakes in hiring. They've had challenges that they've had to overcome as well. But what would you say is maybe the the number one? And I don't expect you to um, lay out or delineate your whole um, hiring and, and team strategy process. But what would you say is the most important to making sure that you have the right people in the right places on your team? Well, I'm going to say something that your listeners are probably familiar with the idea of hire slow, fire fast. That is so Mm -hmm. fundamentally important. Do not rush into hiring people. Don't be afraid to give people trial periods. Don't be afraid to extend the discussion. Don't be afraid even to seek out people for internships. And also recognize that when you are hiring people, money is not the only currency you can pay them in. And it's not the only currency that some of them want. Sometimes they will want experience and they'll want something on the resume or they'll want a recommendation. Also, understand too that when you pay people, you don't necessarily pay them initially. And what I mean by that, I'm not suggesting that you dupe anyone or con anyone or swindle anyone, nothing like that. But I'm suggesting maybe a more articulate way to phrase it would be understand that commissions are a very valuable tool in hiring and paying people. 
So an example of this would be if you can't afford to hire someone specifically to do sales, get someone to work on commission. Get someone, find someone who can work on a commission that they receive once they've delivered the result. Excellent. I love how you brought uh, many ideas to the table for that and a lot to think about. So thank you there. Now, you also have a podcast, The Seven Rules for Real Estate Investing. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. The podcast is, as you said, Seven Rules for Real Estate Investing. And the premise of the show is that we bring in real estate investors to come on, talk about their ventures, talk about everything they're engaged in. And the central part of the show is each guest taking the floor, so to speak, and speaking in as much depth and as much detail as they want on seven clear rules, taking the best that they've learned, all their experiences, all their insights from their career so far in real estate investing, and breaking it down into seven clear rules for the audience, with the idea being that when we have these seven rules, people who are listening to the show, they may tune out the initial part, they may not listen to the rest of the show, but there is never going to be any question in their mind on where in the episode to go to find the valuable, actionable bits. They know that they can always go to that centerpiece of the show to get the key takeaways and to truly learn something. So Nick, um, my entrepreneurial mind just thought of another great uh, service you could provide. Uh, Rachel and I have been, we're, I think we're over 70 plus episodes of our podcast. So if you listen to every one of our podcasts, I think you'd get an idea of how we're helping business owners um, become entrepreneurs and, and building a life and business that they, that they love, not only in the future, but right now. So, you know, one service you might think of providing in the future is taking all the concepts and ideas from people's podcasts and wrapping them all up into one book. That's an excellent suggestion. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I'll just take a couple of royalties off of each one of those, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I just, I just. And uh, maybe we can be your first yeah, client. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So, um, if somebody does want to go ahead and connect with you, what does the process look like from them first reaching out? How do they do that? And then, what would they expect in the initial um, decision making stage before they decide to hire you? Well, before they decide to hire us in that initial decision-making process, it begins with them making a decision in the first place that a book is something that even makes sense for them. Going back to what we talked about much earlier in this conversation, they need to determine if a book is going to be the best means of achieving their objective or if the Facebook ads, all the other aspects of their marketing channel are better means of doing it. So once they've made that decision, then what they would need to do is go to our website, contentcore.net, C-O-N-T-E-N-T-C-O-R-P-S dot N-E-T, contentcore.net. And they would go on there, look at the information we have, and if they'd like to get in touch, fill out the contact form, and we'd begin the discussion that way. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for um, just sharing your process, your experience with us, and just how you are making the world a bigger and better place and helping people to get out their ideas um, and really overcome those obstacles and hindrances and the the roadblocks that prevent people who have books inside of them from getting them out into the world. 
and from really making a difference with that piece of their marketing strategy. I really um, just loved hearing about your your work and um, thank you just for sharing your thoughts and ideas with us today. Rachel, Bruce as well, I want to thank you guys too. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Well, um, Nick, is there anything that you would like to share with us in closing in terms of how you are building a life and business that you love? One of the things I think that I'd like to share would be that exercise and sleep and personal habits are a tremendously important aspect of that. And that if people would- Amen to that. If, if people would just exercise more, get more sleep, I would add to the list too, drink more water. It's surprisingly effective. If they would just maintain themselves, really, they'd probably be pleasantly surprised at the kind of enhanced results they're able to get. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And that was completely unexpected. And I wholeheartedly agree as well. So um, thank you so much for just sharing your, your personal story along with your professional experience and what you're doing. And we look forward to sharing this with our listeners. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.